welcome to the Remind Podcast, a podcast where we bring our mind into our apprenticeship to Jesus, because a mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. My name is Kyle. I get to pastor a church called Regeneration in Northeast Ohio. My buddy Zach and I are going to host this podcast where we'll discuss topics in culture and theology and scripture. Hosting this podcast together has been a bit of a dream of ours, and we're so excited to be getting started. So we hope you love today's episode as you listen. Peace. Well, hey, welcome to the Remind Podcast, episode one, take two, Yeah. via Zoom today in the spirit of self-quarantining. If uh, you're listening, my name's Kyle. And I'm Zach. I am in my office upstairs, and Zach appears to be at his dining room dining, table. Yeah, I'm at the dining room table. Home sweet home. We recorded this podcast last week and had a stellar conversation, which of course did not record. So we're recording this 2.0 with less good quality. So get excited about the day that we can use uh, our actual equipment at the church. But we're starting a podcast. It's happening. I'm excited. And I think today's conversation is going to be better. The quality may be less than what we had as far as sound and whatever, but at least now we've got video and a second conversation is always better than the first conversation. And our intro and outro music by our friend Clay Colley is done. So there's going to be some like Shout out, Clay. beats at the beginning and end of the final dub of this, which is also going to be excellently edited by me on GarageBand. Um, <laughs> so Zach, why are we starting a podcast? Well, I wanted to start a podcast. I brought, I had been, kind of cooking it up in my brain for, I don't know. Mm. It, it kind of came along this, alongside uh, kind of the brainchild of mine to, be, to start pursuing a little bit more of an apologetics career. Okay. So it was about nine or 10 months ago. And then I was like, I was sitting there, some new people were coming to the church and they couldn't necessarily make it to the times that we had. And I brought it up to you like the following day. I was like, hey, did you ever think about bringing back a evening service and you're like no not really and I was, oh, like, I was okay. not that gentle I was like hard pass. <laughs> and I was like I was like no but this is different this is uh I, I, I kind of want to just run a podcast essentially it molded into the idea of a podcast where we could equip some of our leaders in the church um, give a platform for some of the teachers some 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 people that have gifts in our church to teach but not necessarily a platform to teach on so a podcast seems to be a very harmless way to do that and train that. And um, if I was going to be doing it, I wanted to hone my own skills of some apologetics work. So it seemed like a good mishmash of good work to be done. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things that you, I remember we were sitting in Panera having this conversation. It was like, I think it was in between Christmas candlelight at Regen and when I went to Cuba And the word that I just so remember from that conversation is the word conviction and not in the sense of like our beliefs per se, like having convictions, but 
the work of the Holy Spirit in which he gets our attention. And through that, if we kind of receive that moment and press into it, how that's what brings transformation into our lives. And one of our conversations was really that what our spiritual family needs in this season is more conviction um, and more opportunities for the Holy Spirit to break in. And so that kind of got me excited in thinking about like developing leaders, uh, presenting some more content because we also have a lot of people in our family who uh, are, maybe they have been in church for a long time, but they're just now moving from believer to disciple or they're brand new Christians. And there's just some categories that we want to help them fill in that we just can't do in all of the vehicles that we have as a church, circles, huddles, Sunday gathering, um, other random groups that kind of arise, we can't do all that. So if we could have this other venue for some content and some conviction that would move our whole culture uh, into kind of a discipleship lifestyle defined by the up in and out lifestyle of Jesus, that could be really exciting. I think a good question is, so we're calling this podcast Remind, which Zach says he thought of, but that I said out loud first. Um, <laughs> Why are we calling it Remind? For me, it's, it's about reminding, not necessarily like reminding people like, oh, I'm thinking about this now and I forgot about it. I'm, I'm looking more at like, uh, like, a re, like a restart or a, like a redo. Like I want to remind people's ability to think logically about what the things that we believe hmm. or think logically and critically even about other people's belief. I think that we live in a culture that is, is plagued by confusion and mm-hmm. um, ambiguity. So, or ambiguity. Um, so that's, that's kind of, and I mean, in a nutshell, that's kind of where I'm at. I want to, I want to try and attempt to remind myself constantly on a daily basis and then even remind, help to remind other people. I've been thinking a lot about this since we had this conversation last week and thinking a lot about how Our real goal with this too is, yeah, I like that idea of remind, not like, oh, like we're not trying to be a post-it note in the corner of your mirror. We're like trying to rebuild the way that you think about the way of Jesus from the inside out. And that means bringing our mind and our thought life into our discipleship. And I think church people talk a lot about their hearts, right? Oh, that just touched my heart, pastor. But scripture the more I read the New Testament in particular speaks so much of our minds and even two lines from Paul are just really at the forefront of my, of my mind. <laughs> As we're talking about this, one of them being Romans 12 two, which says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the opposite of being conformed, to the pattern of this world and the pattern in this means like a way of thinking and being and living. The opposite of that is being transformed, not in our heart, but in our mind. Paul also says in Romans that a mind set on the spirit is life and peace. And so we want to help regen and our spiritual family and anyone else listening to this podcast experience life and peace as we set our minds on things of the spirit, as we set our minds on things that are above and to experience that transformation. And I think it's just an interesting concept that we are transformed by our mind. But the reality is, and Dallas Willard talks about this, which we need to have a podcast about Dallas Willard at some point and just his thinking of the mind. 
because his whole thing is that truth enters the, our mind first and then goes into our heart and then into our bodies. But by neglecting the mind, we do ourselves a disservice. And I'm actually, I've been reading first Peter, um, just for my own time. And, uh, first Peter, uh, one 13, therefore preparing your minds for action yep. and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I love that preparing your mind for action. And that's kind of what we're trying to do with the Remind podcast, even in the midst of really a crazy season with coronavirus in the background. And that's kind of why we're starting this podcast now, because we have a lot of disposable time, uh, or at least a lot more flexibility in our schedule. And because we want to just keep putting out in front of Regen other pieces of content just to keep them grounded. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, I just kind of want to add just like, some anecdotal stuff even to that, to that scripture is like, like with the stuff that Paul's saying, like, I feel like God has already changed my heart. He's overcome my heart. I would say yeah. that he's the king of my heart. He's, he's given me a heart of flesh, replacing mm-hmm. like the heart of stone that I had. Like, I feel like that's, you know, upon accepting him um, and accepting Jesus and being baptized, I definitely feel like that's the gift that I've been given. But the harder battle, especially for me, and I really think for everybody, the harder battle, much harder battle is the battle of the mind. Wow. I mean, I, and, and I mean, this is just that, like for the, for my own personal like sins and things that I battle through, this is, I mean, we know through like neurology and things like that. Like, I mean, I'm no neurologist, but there's plenty of books that will, will back me up on this and you know, pr- plenty of professionals, they talk about the plasticity of our mind. Yeah. And, and the reminding of those, of those pathways that we tend to, that we constantly go down. Um, so, so really I, what you're saying is that the renewal of your mind. So first of all, I agree. The battle of my spiritual life is 80% a battle of the mind, mm-hmm. but also you're saying reminding and this renewing of this renewing of your mind is actually even a physical phenomenon because of the neuroplasticity of our brains, which could be a whole other episode. We need to find somebody to talk to us about that. That'd be really cool. No. Yeah. I mean, I 100% believe that. And I would say just recently, like in the last uh, four or five weeks, I feel like there's been uh, a new frontier of my own reminding plastic, Mm -hmm. plastically wise, if I can say that. All the neurologists yeah. out there, ears bleed as I say that. Yeah. I, I would say in a similar way, I'm experiencing some like new breakthrough in some places of my heart and my mind. There it is. Hmm. And which is just another way that like our lives, Zach and I have been friends since an unknown date in 2014, <laughs> because it just depends on who remembers what, but our lives have kind of always moved in parallel. And so you're even kind of in this podcast, by the way, getting just a little sense of what Zach and I talk about all day. Um, because on my iPhone, let's see if it still happens. On my iPhone, if I tap and hold the text button, it gives me some options of who to text. And almost always, Zach oh. and my wife. Am I in it? At the top. Am I on the top? At the Here's top. what's annoying. I somehow texted my, I like three weeks ago texted myself something just because it was easier and I can't get myself out of that screen, which makes me feel. Well, I do that too. So another way that we're connected, it's, it's, oops, yeah. there's Zoe. But, um, there's Zoe. Gage, my shout out to Gage McCracken. And Hi, Gage. Myself. 
I think, um, but I think you're just getting a sense of kind of like our friendship and the things that we nerd out about and text. Zach and I text like we're 16 year old girls, only we text about theology and culture and scripture. It's super cool. We're really cool people. pandemic mode and last week we had this conversation on like Monday or Tuesday or maybe even Wednesday and so we were still in the early stages of this we were not under shelter in place orders now as of Tuesday March 24 when we're recording this we are under shelter in place orders um one of the articles that just keeps grabbing my attention as we think about this and what does it mean to be the people of Jesus and um maybe Soon, we're going to record an episode of this where Steph and I are on talking about how we can be pressing into the season. And I want to cast some vision for that this Sunday um, in my sermon. But we want to talk about how we can be kind of using this season fruitfully. But I I read this article early last week um, called um, From Foreign Policy, which again, when I say that I read this article, it makes me sound very important. A guy named Lyman Stone wrote an article, the headline of which is Christianity has been handling epidemics for 2000 years, which I I thought was just phenomenal. Um, And he has this quote in this article that says, during plague periods in the Roman Empire, Christians made a name for themselves. Historians have suggested that the terrible Antonine plague of the second century which might have killed off a quarter of the Roman Empire, led to the spread of Christianity as Christians cared for the sick and offered a spiritual model whereby plagues were not the work of an angry and capricious deity, but the product of a broken creation in revolt against a loving God. I think um, what this article gets to for me is that this is a really uh, unique opportunity. Um, I was just listening to another podcast where they talked about how like in the seventies, John F. Kennedy, when he was still a Senator gave a speech where he said um, the Chinese word uh, for crisis um, is made of two characters. And I think the first one is like danger. He said the first one was like danger. And the second one was opportunity, which has actually now been proven false. Um, But I think it's, Yes, it sounded nice. And it, it, it's a compelling idea, right? That in this season of, um, and somebody, I think an article, like they, this was in the Bridgetown podcast, they said the word was like, opisis, like crisis and opportunity together. And I do think that's a terrible word, but I do think there is a unique opportunity for us as the people of Jesus in this season to be talking about truth. And I, and I think there's that opportunity is something that we can take advantage of that sounds a little harsh, that we can press into. Hmm. Because in our DNA as the Jesus people is this like, oh, epidemic, like major illness, like let's go, saddle up our horses. This is what we do. And so I feel really passionate for our church to be engaging in this well and not just kind of hunkering in place and enduring, but 
doing everything that we can to press into the story that this is talking about. Yeah. And I mean, my question to you is like, why, why were, why is it that Christians kind of have that in their DNA or in their, their doctrine or their philosophy to be able to go and do that type of thing? I think it's because our core belief is that this is not our home and that uh, this is just a place. um, And that my, that what happens after this is secure. And so, yeah, I'll go, I mean, our ancestors went running into plague houses um, for the same reason that they kept preaching the gospel when the Roman Empire told them to shut up and go home. And it was because death is not the worst thing that can happen to me. The worst thing that can happen to me is for me to waste the one life that I have been given on lesser things. And so with the security of knowing that the Jesus who holds my life in his hands has conquered death in the grave. I can go doing significant things and I can go plunging myself into, you know, into sickness and into pandemic and into, um, you know, get thrown to lions because that's not the worst thing that can happen to me. And so there is, if we are thinking about heaven in the right way, and this is N.T. Wright, who has kind of explored this a lot. If we are thinking about heaven in the right way, it radically transforms how we live day to day. There's this phrase um, that there are people who are too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. I think the most heavenly minded people are the of the most earthly good. And so there's a courage that comes from and a love and a compassion that comes from this is not my home, but I want to make my home now as much like my home will be then, as Jesus would pray on earth as it is in heaven. So therefore, social justice and therefore caring for the sick and therefore, at least in this scenario, right now, today, what loving our neighbor means, even with that kind of courage means, I'm just going to stay home. Zach, let's turn to, so we have this thing going on right where i mean uh, like just in the middle of last week 800 people died in one day in italy okay wow like this is ravaging the globe um and you know while it's within our dna as the people of jesus to press into these things well there's a lot of people asking christians and non-christians alike like, why is this happening? And, and, and part of our witness, right, this quote from Lyman Stone says, like, we're bearing witness to the idea this is not like capricious gods. This is not like Zeus just messing with us. This is a broken creation in revolt against a loving God. But that's a story that really only, only kind of makes sense from inside the Christian world. Um, but we have friends and we have neighbors, and this is kind of your wheelhouse, um, the apologetics place. Uh, who are asking, like, why is this happening? So talk to us about um, how do I think through this and how do I have these conversations well? Yeah, I want to I start with just the, the recognition that this is the why question of, of um, I think, all, like, whether you're a theist or an atheist. Yeah. Um, so the, this, is, this is the question. And and I want to I want to admit up front, like there's there's never going to be a a really really great answer to this. 
Yeah. So whatever, whatever theological answer that we can produce as Christians is only going to be, you know, 10, 15, maybe maximum 20%. If we were to look at like all of the things in a pie, maybe maximum 20% like consolation, you know, right. it, it may give somebody the answers to this. Why question may give somebody the, um, uh, the mental kind of, understanding or the the intellectual kind of assenting to the to this why question but it doesn't really help people that are suffering you know when somebody loses a child when somebody loses their grandfather their and like maybe their whole family 800 people who knows maybe that was somebody's entire family yeah um me telling them that you know uh some philosophical claims or like any christian not even just me just anybody that's versed in, in, in suffering, telling somebody the philosophical kind of frameworks for why suffering is, is okay and normal and, and, and sound like a sound argument, you can make sound arguments for it. That's not going to help that person. And I think if, if we rely on that 20%, we can't remind ourselves to get into the other 80% of the issue. Yeah. And we're going to leave a lot of people hurt and, um, and, and, and we're going to leave a lot of people in their suffering and we're not going to be those Christians that care for the sick. Um, the thought that's crossing my mind is you're saying like, there is no answer to the question that is like a silver bullet that will make a person go like, Oh, I totally feel better about this. And I totally understand. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's definitely not. So, I mean, I, I like if, I, if I can continue, there's um, the one thing I would say is like evil and suffering. It, it does not disprove the God, the God and erase all of our hope as Christians. Um, the one thing that, that Christians can do more so than, than the, the theolo- like the theological framework, like give that is to, I think what Christians are able to do in these times are to offer a branch of hope and a freedom to grasp. You know, mm-hmm. if somebody's, if somebody's in a, in a sweeping river and about to, to drown and about to like, under emotions and until under mental anguish, it would be very, very good if for us to reach out a hand and pull that person out of that river that seems to be moving so fast and so powerful, something that they can't overcome themselves. Mm. I think us as Christians, we like, because of our DNA, we, because we know that we are heavenly minded. We know that death and fear and all of these things aren't the worst thing that can happen to us. We do have this base to stand upon hmm. and that we can reach out our hand and pull people onto that base. And I think that's where we start to kind of get into the two branches of this argument. Um, wh- one is the, one is the intellectual side of the argument, the theology side, and the other is the more pastoral side okay. of the argument. So I think what the way that you introduced it is you wanted to kind of go down the theological side for, well, not necessarily, but that's you, kind of do, you introduce it how you want to introduce it, baby. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Well, the implication is this, is when somebody says, why, why is this happening? You know, um, and, and if they're genuinely asking, uh, I think that our best bet as, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, is to not answer that why question. Mm. You don't answer that why question. You don't fall into that little bait and that trick because it's not going to offer them anything helpful. Um, unless somebody of course is insisting that they really want to know that, like I would do that. Like I'd be like, no, tell me, tell me what the Bible has to say about this. Right. Um, 
and 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 give me what like past tradition has said about these things like you know yeah. you can those answers are there i think the way that we have to handle these ha handle this time right now is to move down that pastoral side and just say you know hey i don't really have a there is not really a great answer for this hmm. but i really want to know how you're feeling in this so that i can come alongside you and just kind of help you through those feelings yeah i want to kind of work so that's kind of the way um if you go down if you go down that route if you go down the if you take the branch of hey we're going to go this intellectual route then you're going to open yourself up to having a debate and in debates um different skeptics have introduced a what we call the skeptical trilemma and it even has a fancy uh philosophical name for it and it's called the evidential argument the evidential argument from evil and it goes like this so this is something a three premise argument against evil that some skeptics will posit it's been it's been used over and over and over to the point where you know some some skeptics believe it's it's the it is the silver bullet that kills God. Even mm. it's so it's wow. so powerful that some people believe um, that this is this is actually when, when talking about suffering, this is the argument that wipes God off should wipe God off the conscious consciousness of every person. And you know, and I'll show you that that's that's not really the case. But the premise goes like this: If God is all powerful and He can do anything He wants, and if God is loving and a loving God would eliminate all the pain and suffering of this. COVID-19 coronavirus and, and any tragic issue you could come up with. Yet evil and suffering is an experiential reality felt by every single person to ever walk the earth. So we've got God, all loving, can do anything he wants. God, or I'm sorry, God, God, all powerful, he can do anything he wants. God is all loving, so therefore he should eliminate pain. Yeah. But yet there's evil and suffering and is experiential reality. So those three premises would be concluded, it would conclude into the fact that the Christian God is incoherent, inconsistent, and irrational. So Christians' own understanding of God as being power, all-powerful, loving, disproves his existence simply because the existence of evil and suffering. So basically yeah. they're pitting the character of God against the reality of evil and suffering and concluding that because of the reality of evil and suffering, God doesn't exist. And I, yeah. earlier you said, like this idea that skeptics have this idea, but my guess is like our friends, our family members who do not practice the way of Jesus have either like a fully conscious, fully thought out version of this, or just kind of have this like unconscious amorphous blob of thinking where they, and, and frankly, even Christians, I think, after crisis, have these thoughts go through their head, right? Like, if God was loving, why did he do this thing? Yeah. So um, even if they're not, like, full-on Richard Dawkins reading atheistic skeptics, they still have some sort of intellectual assumption of these three premises. Yeah. 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 And I, I mean, and I think that this type of thought process even creeps into, it creeps into Christians' minds. It creeps into my mind specifically just recently, you know, and I, I told you where I was, I, I recently said a prayer. <clears throat> I said, God, I expect you to heal me of this. And I said it in a tone that like, like as if I was talking to a person like, Hey, I expect you to heal me of this. 
And if you don't, then, you know, there's going to be repercussions for you. Like that's the yeah. tone that I said it to God in. Like, like the only repercussion that I would have is like, I'm going to stop believing in you or something. Right. Yeah. Like, right. You must not be the father that I thought you were if you don't take this right. from me. Right. Um, so I, I can, you know, and, and the door's open, buddy, and I'll walk right out that door. Right. And it, it was very like a threatening type of um, uh, con- kind of conversation. You're shaking our fist a little bit. Yeah. And yeah, so th- this idea does kind of pop into my head, like pop into our heads and in our consciousness, like when we really want some pain and some suffering and some things that don't make sense to us to go away. Um, but like, luckily, through the pastoral leadership of, 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 of Christians, um, you had come to me and said, you know what, there's going to be, there's going to have to be some cooperation. It's not like God can do this, um, but it, there's going to need to be some cooperation uh, on, on your part and his part. And you included yourself in it and some things like that too. So yeah. that was, and that was the thing that changed me. It wasn't, it was the, is the realization that like, okay, I need to snap back. I need to remind myself here and thinking that like, I'm going to be the late, this is slightly off topic from COVID-19, but it was just like an anecdotal well, suffering personal suffering. experience. Yeah. And um, it just, it just felt good to have you say like, I'm going to involve myself in this a little bit more and, um, and, and be there and be there with you. So. Well, isn't that part of the pastoral response that we're going to get to in a little bit is like, is even just like, I, I can't answer a lot of these questions, but I can give you a hug, which yeah. I'm not allowed to do right now. But, right. <laughs> um, uh, but that's part of the pastoral response even is just. I'm sure there's uh, an emoji for that. Yeah, there's an emoji for that. Um, emoji hugs are the best we can do right now. But yeah, I think that's part of it is, is the part of the pastoral response is kind of just presence, right? Yeah. Um, both God's presence in this and like how God shares his presence with us through other people. Um, But Zach, I'm looking at these premises. God is all powerful. You can do anything you want. God is loving. A good God would eliminate, a loving God would eliminate pain. And I'm thinking, okay, well, at least on premise number two, a piece that's missing there is like a, a loving God would eliminate pain while loving God also like was crucified. Mm. like did not eliminate pain for himself. So there's obviously a little bit of a hole there. Yeah. I do think, I mean, we could talk about this another time, but like kind of the ace in the hole in this conversation usually comes back to the crucifixion on some level. Right. Always. It's, it's the unique, that is, that is the, that is the bedrock upon which Christianity is, is founded. Right. That's the, that's the one, it is the unique thing that um, no other religious ideology shares. Right. And uh, that's, that's always the most contentious battle for, of the minds for uh, most people. And when people realize the power of that, right. That, I mean, that's what we're like, that is pastoral. God so loved us that he sent his only son to die for our sins. Right. You know, we were in a state of tragedy. We were in a state of, you know, this is the biblical story. We we were in a state of um, like no return. Yeah but we were in that river that was sweeping us away to death and right. like just constant or just sweeping us away from no relationships and right. uh, sweeping us away towards selfishness and, and just that naturalistic um, tooth and claw type world where 
the the strongest wins and like the most fit survive. Right. Yet we get this tiny little baby who grows up and you know is meek, right? And is wise, but ends up dying for for the sins of everybody and dying for the salvation of everybody. Right. That's well, the opposite of nature. Like on himself. Yeah. That's there's nothing like what he did that's anything close to the nature of this world. Yeah. So but yeah, you pointed out, I just want to say you pointed out the fact that the arguments there, the premise one, God is all powerful, he can do anything he wants. God is loving, a loving God would eliminate pain. Right. You in one foul swoop right there, you just eliminate you just revealed the irrationality of those arguments. Right. So for arguments, like when we talk about arguments and philosophy and and logic. An argument must be sound, like the, yeah. like the key word is sound. So you just broke the soundness of those arguments in one sentence or in, right. one, two, in, in one name, Jesus Christ. Right. So like, again, I mean, now I'm just thinking like, just as a, as a Christian, the power of his name. Right. Down, one, like one of the, what's supposedly one of the most powerful arguments against Christianity. Well, right. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Explain that, please. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the power of his name is just so great and it shows the the irrationality of that argument. So we can basically throw out the skeptical trilemma, the evidential argument from evil. It does not disprove the existence of God by any stretch of the imagination because anybody who would hold to that skeptical trilemma would just be operating on a uh, a misunderstanding of the character of God and the depth of the biblical story. Um and they would just, they would simply just need to be like, if that's where they wanted to keep the conversation, then they would just need to be taken to school essentially right. on, on all of those topics, which there's many, many, many more smart people than me and even you that can take them to school. And uh, right. it's, all, it's all for free on the internet right now. You just have to do some quick Google searching. Right. I think what we, what you, I mean, you know, you would say that you've got some academic game and you've swayed my hard heartedness um, into realizing the value of Christ through and, and Christianity through words. But over time, the way that I've been, that I've been attracted to being the, being a Christian and the Christian ways, the DNA, that Christian DNA, if you will, is, through compassion. So one of the ways that I know that like I'm changing is when tears just magically start to fall out of my face. That means um, the Holy Spirit is working on Zach. Yes, yes that's, that's the indicator that something is happening. So, and you know, I don't know the last time I read a book where I was so convicted and just started bawling and couldn't right. talk. So um, that's the, that's the truth of the matter. So, which is why we need, which is why you're saying like dealing with the skeptical argument is only 20%. Maximum, maximum. But the rest of it is engaging in that compassionate and what you're calling the pastoral response, which you wisely said in the first recording of this podcast is the unique contribution that Christianity has is that we have a pastoral response. Yeah, that was in relation to that quote that you got from uh, Mr. Stone above. Uh, yeah. I was kind of latching onto that part of the sentence where he said, Christians cared for the sick and offered a spiritual model. Yeah. That was completely unique, completely unique relative to the models that exist today, even of yeah. amongst the 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 big uh, monotheistic religions and even the uh, pantheistic religions. Like we have a model that says 
I'm going to come alongside you. This is the one life you live. And I want to yeah. make sure that you understand that you're safe and you're accepted and you're loved where, you know, you're going to get some different responses from some of, from some other ideologies. So unpack the pastoral response for me then. So I've got my friends and I've got my family that are asking me questions. We got people in our church that are saying, how can God allow this to happen? And we kind of just talked to point it out, like how the crucifixion kind of points to, you know, Jesus died to restore a broken world. And the reality is we're still waiting for the fullness of that. We're still waiting, even in first Peter, that verse I read earlier, we're waiting for the full revelation of Jesus in his return when he brings all this. But for now, for now, we've got, we, we've got to deal with this. So what is, what is this? And you've got this actually fire quote from Billy Graham that I think yeah. is good about this. Who better, to, who better to quote than Billy Graham? Like, That's what you know, I'm saying. One of the most well-known pastors, if anybody's going to know, if you're, if you're, uh, if you're new to Christianity, then you probably have heard about Billy Graham, but I can't necessarily make that assumption, but yeah. here it is. I mean, this is, this is great. Well, I, I wanted to, um, what I did in the, in the last pod, podcast is I uh, kind of contrasted two pastoral statements. Both are true. Yeah. I think one has, uh, is more biblical, I, okay. I guess. So, and I, I don't remember where the story's from, but it essentially goes like this. And I don't even know after what tragedy it was, but essentially a, it, was a, it was a terrible tragedy. It may have been 9-11, you know, I'm not sure, where a pastor comes up in front of his congregation on Sunday, on the Sunday service, you know, people still came to church, you know, they wanted to hear from, they wanted to hear the word of God. And um, a pastor comes up and he says, I have nothing to say. And he sat down and it was just in a state of just complete turmoil and tragic, just feelings. People were overwhelmed. I'm sure when he said that people, like, I can just imagine like the weight of, I have nothing to say just came crashing down on everybody. Yeah. Tears kind of, I bet you people started crying, like wailing even. I just, I can imagine when you, like when you go to your pastor and, and, and you go to hear the word of God and, and your pastor says, and I'm, I'm not faulting this person, whoever this is, um, because I think what he did is, is still true. It's still true. Right. Um, and he says, I have nothing to say. Like, that puts us, like, what do we have then? Right. And I think Billy Graham does this a little bit better because I, I think while we don't have the answer to the why question, we don't have the answer. We have no, we, we've got no reason to just be like, oh, thanks God for giving us that answer. I can stop feeling bad now. Right. That's not, that's not the answer that God gives. Answer God definitely gives us a response. He gives us, he, he has something to say. And Billy Graham sums it up like this. He says, he says, I don't know. Times like these will do one of two things. They will either make us hard and bitter and angry at God, or they will make us tender and open and help us reach out in trust and faith. I pray that you will not let bitterness and poison creep into your souls, but you will turn in faith and trust in God and trust in God, even if we cannot understand. It is better to face something like this with God than without him. I love that so much. Yeah, it's just, it's just a chilling quote, and it's, it's full of truth. And it's, it's, I think that's exactly what God would say. I think, um, I think God would say, you know, hey, look, I can't take 
all of this pain and suffering away from you because it's it's kind of it's part of the world that I've created. Um, and it's rebellion against me. Yeah. Yeah, it's rebellion against me. Like it's just, but what I can offer you is myself. Yeah. I can offer you myself and I can offer you another part of myself called the Holy Spirit that's going to empower you to like just just be built up and have confidence and hope. He, I mean, he can, he, he just offers him his, his whole self and he offers him himself in, in flesh, in the flesh in Jesus Christ. That, that ex, he says he's the only God that experiences the same level of pain and suffering that we do even more. Yeah. So, I mean, we have a model, we have a pastor, we have somebody to follow. Yeah. Um, through that valley, you know, through this, that through these valleys of just fear and terribleness. Yeah. So, and I, and there's a similarity to those two responses. The one pastor standing up and saying, I have nothing to say and leaving it there. Billy Graham in a similar way says, I have nothing to say, but I do have this to say, right? Uh, I don't know, but here's something that's true. It's very different than I have nothing to say. And, And I think even the freedom then to say to our friends who are saying, why is this happening? You say, I don't know. Yeah. But here's what I do know. Like, I don't know the answer to, and I don't, like, Zach, I don't know the answer to the question of, like, why COVID-19? I don't know the answer to the question of, like, the people in our community that are struggling with anxiety and depression after, like, massive childhood trauma. I don't know, like, why some of the most faithful people that we know, like, have tremendous, like, physical suffering in their life. I don't know, like, why Steph and I had to have three miscarriages before we had Jack. But I do know it's true what Billy Graham says here. It is way better to face something like this with God and with God's people than without. Yeah. You know what was just coming to my mind as we were saying, we were constantly saying, I don't know. Yeah. I think there's sects of people out there that say that they do know and they offer like bad answers. Like, well, and, and they'll, they'll say, um, well, you know, sin has consequences. Um, and they'll say like, I won't give it handle. Yeah, they'll say stuff like that. But I'm even looking more at like placing the blame on all of these people. Right. Okay. I think think that, um, you know, somebody might say, you know, there's free will. And then there's, and and as a result of free will, there's like there's sin. And as a result of sin, there's going to be judgment. And like, I think some people will offer the answer that God is judging these people right now. And I just like, I don't know that and neither does anybody else. You know, people do not know that answer. Um, so I think it's the, and, and what does that answer help? How does that answer help anybody? Mm. You know, I don't think that that, I don't think that there's a, a valid way of defending that answer. And, um, but I think that that's the answer. That is an answer that some people may give. And I, I kind of want to, I would personally like to condemn that answer. And I would like to side on the side of, uh, of Billy Graham and say, I don't know, but here's some true things. You know, it's what we do know about God is that he is all powerful and he is all loving. Mm-hmm. And, and that doesn't mean that he's going to take, that doesn't mean that he's not, that he's going to take away uh, all the pain and suffering, but I would rather be with the all powerful, all loving God who understands love to a greater degree than I ever will yeah. and community to a greater degree than I ever will than be in it on my own relying on, I mean, 
the, the biblical thing that I keep going back to is when Jesus tells the crowd to eat his body and to, or, um, uh, to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And his disciples turn to him and say, um, say, Lord, that's, that's a hard teaching. And Jesus says to them, Oh, are you going to leave me too? And this is after everybody walked away from him after he said that. And they said, they said, no, who, who would we turn to? Mm. Like, even in the hard teachings and in the, the hard, the hard times of our life, who better to turn to? And I think that's what Jesus, or that's what, uh, uh, Billy Graham is saying here, who better to turn to. So let me, in our last moments here together, um, let me play skeptical friend by a text message who, you know, tonight texts, uh, texts you and says like, I, I just really can't believe in a God that would allow coronavirus. Like, I can't believe in a God that would allow people to die in the Holocaust. I can't believe in a God that would allow these things. Like what is conversationally in a text message, we're not going to like debate. We're, we're going to mm-hmm. offer the pastoral compassionate response. Like what is, what is my way to respond to that lovingly? Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of like the frame of the text because you can't fully know the um, you can't get the um, the tone behind the question. You might, they might put those little angry faces on it or something like that. And then they might blatantly say like, I want to have the debate, like, tell me like, but most likely that's not going to happen. So if they just give me this, the text, like I can't possibly believe in a God that would allow these people to die yeah. and all of this, all of this stuff. Um, I think the way that we handle that, you have to, uh, you have to know a little bit about, a per- about the person. Uh, you can't just enter into some conversation on these heavy topics with just your head full of rational thoughts and truth, which I would have been a, a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A culprit of doing that. You've got to take, take into account the person and not the question, first of all. Mm. So it's more about the person. It's not so much about the question. This person's expressing to you a feeling in, in, in a whole bunch of thoughts in one simple text. And I think once you kind of consider the person, then you can give them a better response. So I would say if it's, if it's a, a relatively uh, close friend or acquaintance that I know, and I know that they're a, a pretty calm and docile person, they're not, they're not trying to argue, argue with me, I would simply offer them a answer like, well, I can understand what you're saying there. I think that's a, I think that's a, a, a common struggle that people have said. It's not a new struggle. So you're not alone in that. Yeah. But I can't possibly imagine going through all of this misery without Jesus and kind of reframe it to make him answer that. Right. It's not so much about me having to answer the why question. Right. It's I want to get down to the nitty gritty of what it's like. I can't possibly do this without Jesus and kind of get the, and get the conversation on the Jesus and why Jesus helps me get through these terrible things. Um, and, 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 and allow that person to join into that type of conversation as opposed to, let me tell you why God is doing this yeah. and let me prove it to you. Yeah. Yeah. You moved it from a debate to almost a counseling session. <laughs> That's what it is. I mean, why else is that person t- like coming at me like that? Right. Like, what does that person want? Like he knows that like that person doesn't have the answer. Right. So, and he's reaching out, he's got his, he's in this river being swept away with, whatever type of emotion. I don't know it yet, but I'd like to know what is it. If he's my friend, I want to know his emotions. 
Um, he's got his hand out. He's going by me. I'm on the bank standing on the rock, which is Jesus. Yeah. And he's got his hand out and he's saying, right. He's maybe shaking his fist at me, but I can still grab his angry shaking fist. Yeah. And I better if I love him. Right. Yeah. And I can pull him up and you know, if he doesn't like my answer, he can jump right back in that river. So yeah, this is so good. So what if the other question, maybe in the same conversation via text, um, which is the only way it's going to happen right now, because it's not like we're having this conversation over lunch. <laughs> right. Um, and I would say, I would say I'm a, I'm a big fan of texting. I know a lot of people aren't. Um, I would say it's, I think conversations like these are a little bit easier to handle in text, especially if you're new to it. Yeah. Because in person, like, you're like, whoa, did somebody just ask me a God question? Like, oh, I'm not prepared, you know? Yeah. Um, so it is important to stay prepared um, in that same text that Kyle's talking about, uh, First Peter. Um, what is it? First Peter 15, 3. 315. 315. Um, always be prepared to have an answer for the hope that you have. Yeah. And that, and, uh, that prepared, or I'm sorry, the word answer there is prepared or answer. I'm forgetting now. Um, is, is the word apologia and the word apologia is apologetic, which means a defense. Always be able to be able to always be able to answer people when they ask you about your faith. It's super yeah. not being able to have, like not having an answer in my mind. I mean, it happens, but it, it, it really shouldn't happen. It really should. And that's happen. kind of the heart of this podcast is to yeah. like help remind you so yeah. that some of the common questions that people are asking and we're going to create a platform even for people to ask us the questions that they're being asked. Um, yeah, so maybe the first conviction for that, maybe the first conviction right now is if you feel like you're not prepared to answer a question, like the one that I was just kind of talking about, you know, you got to, you got, I mean, honestly, you got to put, you got to do the work. You got to, yeah. it's study. It's asking questions. It's joining Bible studies. It's um, you know, and hopefully this is, this will be a good source for you. Well, and a disciple but, is in Greek, a mathetes, a learner, right? Mm -hmm. So the other question they might ask Zach in this text conversation is, and I love, by the way, the note about, first of all, yes, if you're hearing this and going, I wouldn't know how to answer these questions. Like rewind back to where we started talking about Billy Graham and just like digest this and ingest it and hold on to it. But uh, I love the part about texting. Like that's a big encouragement because yeah, like I don't need to then be on my toes, right? Mm -hmm. I don't have to think about it and put together a response. Um, but so in the same conversation, they might say, well, I've just seen too much evil to believe in God. They might say, you can't honestly believe in that. Like given all this evil, how can you honestly believe in God? Yeah. That question seems a little bit more pointed. Like yeah. it seems a little bit more attacky. Well, it's um, putting you on the spot really. Yeah. Yeah. Because they use the word honestly believe like they're, they're kind of um, questioning my, my mental faculty and yeah, my, yeah. my intelligence. How can you honestly believe it? You can't honestly believe in God, right? Like, like it's just a, it's, it's a this or that uh, type of, it's either black or white. Like they've, it almost sounds like they've got it all figured out based on their experience, based on their singular experience. So um, I, the way that I would answer that is with a little bit of, it's the same answer that I gave to the other person, but it's a little bit more pointed. And, it's, yeah. and I would, I would say to that person, you mean with all that you've seen, you can't? And I would emphasize the word can't in a way to, to, offer, a, to offer them a, the ability to respond to 
why can't they believe in Jesus? Yeah. Why, why can't you do this? You know, so now it takes away, it, it, it shifts, again, it shifts the conversation away from the evil and the suffering, which we don't have an answer for, and neither does that person. Yeah. It shifts it away from that and puts it back on Jesus. I, you've seen all of this evil? Wow. I can't believe that you've seen all of that evil and you still don't believe in the God that removes that evil. Yeah. And comes to rescue us from it. Yeah. I can't, I can't, I've seen, I see all that evil too, because I've got cable TV and every time I see it, I, I, I'm, I cherish the fact that I, I, I know Jesus because it's the rock that I stand on. It's the foundation that I can, I can sort these things out or at least have, have a hope. I can at least have a hope. Yeah. And when you're in a naturalistic worldview or whatever, if you're in a naturalistic worldview, then you shouldn't be, you, you have no, you have no foundation to complain about evil. It's, that's what, nat, that's what nature is. Yeah. Yeah. I think as we're, so what we're talking about to, let's see if we can put a bow on this sucker mm-hmm. is we're talking about pastoring people instead of defending your beliefs. We're talking about pastoring people and drawing their eyes to Jesus in the midst of this um, and doing it with compassion. And that pastoral response, that shepherding response is the response of Jesus. In Matthew 9, there's this great part where it says that Jesus saw the crowds and had compassion on them. This is Matthew 9, 36. He saw the crowds and had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I think when we hear questions about our faith, we forget that they are coming from people who are harassed and helpless. Hmm. Um, And that's an opportunity for us to step in, to tell a story about uh, creation and revolt against a loving God and about how a loving God stepped into that that creation to pastor us through it that he saw all of us that way and um to then lead our friends through that in this time of like harassed and helplessness harassment and helplessness like we need pastors and we need to be pastoring our peers and our friends and our families through this season is i think maybe god's calling us in this time yeah yeah, and I think I think the pastoring is the defense of the faith because again, yeah. it is unique. It's unique. Yeah. And if you know, it's just you know, Jesus taught it to us. It's it's where it's where it comes from. So this is the Remind Podcast. I'm excited about it. Well, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. See you guys. Thanks for listening to the Remind podcast. I'm Kyle. I love hosting this and I'm excited for you to hear what we're going to continue to talk about in the episodes and the seasons to come as we bring our minds into our following Jesus 
because a mindset on the spirit is life and peace. 